The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. If you're a Disney Plus subscriber and you're watching The Mandalorian, Jack and I have a podcast for you. Every week, we'll discuss the latest episode of The Mandalorian and talk about other great content and maybe some not-so-great content on Disney Plus as well. As two lifelong Star Wars fans, we have a ton of fun geeking out over all the little details of the show, and we want you to join us every Monday. So search for Disney Plus Reviews. That's Disney P-L-U-S Reviews. Hey, Phil, how about that, Baby Yoda? Baby Yoda says, what's the podcast? Sports Yak Podcast brought to you by Look Trailers. Searching for dedicated people to join their team. They're hiring immediately for skilled positions, including welders, starting at $21 to $25 per hour. Located only 24 minutes from Goshen, 9 minutes from White Pigeon, Michigan. Visit LookTrailers.com. Look Trailers is an equal opportunity employer. Do you like sports? Because we like sports. Let's talk about sports. It's Sports Yak. Sports Yak. It's Sports Yak. And welcome to another new week, another new episode of the Sports Yak Podcast. It is episode 312. I'm calling this the Walter Payton episode because he was Mr. 312, the area code for Chicago. Some might say, well, what about Michael Jordan? Well, he went and played for another team at the end of his career. Walter Payton was pure Chicago throughout his tenure with the Bears. He is Mr. 312 in my mind. I I love athletes that stay with the yes. team. I Maybe that's a generational thing, but I mean, I would have loved for Michael to be a bull the whole career. Exactly. Walter Payton, whole career. Give me five great players that stayed with the team. Ernie, Give me five. Ernie Banks. Cubs. Cubs. Um, then you've got Walter Payton. Cal Ripken Jr. was always an Oriole, no matter what. Um, let's see here. You know, they become they become rarer and rarer today. Yeah. I'm trying to think here. Um, Babe Ruth? No, he started with the Red Sox. Oh, okay. Jerry West was always a Laker. Always a Laker. Jerry West was always a Laker. Magic Johnson? Magic Johnson was always a Laker. Okay. Yeah. Kobe? Kobe was always a Laker. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of them. Yeah. All right. Family Broadcasting Corporation. In association with the Studio DNA Podcast Network, presents Sports Yak. One host knows sports. And who's right there? The other doesn't know sports, but somehow they meet in the middle. It's all the way! It is! Here's your host, Corey Mann. Get your big butt out of here! And Indiana Sports Broadcast Hall of Famer, this one will be relived. Chuck Freebie. Forever! On this episode, we'll hear from Pete Sampson with The Athletic. He's going to pull back the curtain on spring football as the blue and gold game approaches this Saturday. Uh, that'll be an interesting conversation. And let's get things underway. 
I love watching this kid play, but man, last night a rough one. Yeah, last night was really rough because Devin Kennedy out of Marion High School playing in just his seventh career NBA game. He had a 17-point game last week, was getting some recognition, and he goes up to try to block his shot against the Pacers in the first quarter. He'd only been in the game a minute. And lands on the foot of a Pacers player, and his ankle just snaps. And I mean open fracture of the ankle. So that means the bone's poking through the skin. It, it and was, you told me a an, another player put his practice jersey. Mo Bamba took his practice jersey off and ran over there and put it over the ankle so that there wouldn't be a bunch of... Now, TV... TV was tasteful about it. They didn't yeah. zoom in, but Mo didn't want Devin seeing it. He didn't want anybody else seeing it because if you're a fan there in the stands, which Orlando allows some fans in, it was just not a pretty sight. They tended to him on the court for about 15 minutes, finally mm. got him on a stretcher and took him out, and they did the surgery last night, as you mentioned this morning on the radio program. If they're doing a surgery that night, that tells you how bad the break was. Yeah. So he has tweeted this morning. He said, God has never let me down and give, gave a prayer symbol. And I am happy that he has a strong faith. I've encouraged prayers for him. I encourage prayers for him still because it's going to be a long rehab. Yeah. I mean, you got to figure an ankle injury that bad is probably about a year. Mm. I feel like he's going to walk away with all of this with a great perseverance story of just sticking to your guns. Well, he already had a great perseverance story of just getting to the league. I mean, he went the hard way. He went from Princeton, and he left Princeton early, wound up going through the G League, worked his game well enough there. He became the MVP of the G League, had had a brief tryout with the Magic, before the season, didn't stick. They brought him back after his G League season. At first gave him a 10-day contract, waived him. He kept working on his game. They had an injury. They brought him back. He was playing well during his time there, and then this happens. And, you know, it just seems like the poor kid can't catch a break. But hopefully this will all go well. I hope you're right. I hope he does Find a way to make it back to the league because it would be a great story. I think I saw this tweet yesterday, and I recognized the photo of the coach before I recognized the name of the coach from Baylor. Um, Kim Mulkey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's been there for a, a long time, right? 21 years. Yeah. And won three national titles there. But she grew up in Louisiana, and LSU has never been shy about paying its coaches. They've done it with Les Miles. They did it with Palmineri. And they're going to do it apparently with Kim Mulkey because she's going to go back to her home state and be the head coach at LSU. And this one, I think, caught the basketball world by surprise because Kim Mulkey had a good team last year with Baylor. They made a nice tournament run. She's been one of the more outspoken female voices over the last few years, after Pat Summit, it was it was Kim Mulkey and Muffet McGraw kind of carrying the torch for women's coaches in NCAA women's basketball. 
And now she moves from a, a program that she established at Baylor. Remember, Baylor, before Kim Mulkey coached there, was nothing. They had never been to the NCAA tournament where she had win a championship. So she had built that program, and now she'll try to go do it in at LSU in the SEC, which is obviously a highly competitive conference, probably a more competitive conference top to bottom than the Big 12, although the Big 12 has improved quite a bit in recent years. LSU even on the radar in women's basketball? Not really. So this might be a huge... And and clearly they are saying we want to be on the radar. Yeah, here's the investment. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we're going to take a quick 30-second timeout. When we come back, Pete Sampson from The Athletic talks spring football at Notre Dame. Look Trailers is searching for dedicated people to join their team. They're hiring immediately for skilled positions, including welders, starting at $21 to $25 per hour. If you're looking for work in a great atmosphere that's focused on safety, working smart, and bettering the team every day, then Look Trailers is for you. They're located only 24 minutes from Goshen and just nine minutes from White Pigeon, Michigan. Their family of brands include Look Trailers, Pace American, Cargo Express, and Everlight Trailers. Fly online at looktrailers.com today. Look Trailers is an equal opportunity employer. Always a pleasure to have Pete Sampson on the show. There aren't many repeat guests on the Yak, and that's mainly because of their choice, not ours. Uh, but Pete Sampson of The Athletic has been willing to come on the Yak and talk a little bit about Notre Dame spring football. I assume, Pete, that after the little blow-up after the bowl game that you and Brian Kelly, I don't want to say kissed and made up because that really would make me gouge out my eyes, but that you're back on speaking terms again. It, well, based on the Zooms, uh, it appears that I get called on. So, yeah, I think that uh, I think that we're good to go. I would like to ask. I don't know if I know what you guys are talking about. I'm sorry. Well, that <laughs> Pete asked. Pete asked a legitimate question after the bowl game about Notre Dame, basically trying to get past Final Four level to national championship level. Mm-hmm. But because he asked it right after the bowl game, Brian Kelly didn't take it well. Would that be a... Wasn't having it. No. Yeah. The question was, what are your first next steps after this? Um, and he and really, he could have taken that anywhere he wanted. He could have said, you know, we need to recruit a little bit differently. We need, you know, quite literally, he could have said, I need to go out and hire the best defensive coordinator on the market. Um, there are a lot of ways he could take it. But as Chuck, you and I know, uh, Brian Kelly, after a loss, is not always there to sort of engage you in philosophical banter. Um, and he was not there to engage me in philosophical banter after that game. So it, um, that turned into a bit of a thing. But at that point, we weren't sure when we were going to talk to him next. And sure enough, it was right. three months later before we got to ask him another question. So it's like when you got a chance to get those kind of questions in, sometimes you have to you got to do it and see what you get on the other side. Okay. And it, look, I mean, the, I mean, the reaction was, was telling, wasn't it? Um, that like, he had no interest in talking about that at all, which to me was like, I haven't even thought about that yet, or I need some time to decompress from this, but that's, that's insightful too. But it, it also, I think showed that there really isn't a good answer to the question because yes. right now, Teams like Alabama are so far and above the level of a Notre Dame that there are a lot of factors that have to come into repairing the situation for Notre Dame. 
Now, it has been a busy offseason for the Irish. They had to replace defensive coordinator, as you mentioned, Pete, and maybe that's the best place to start talking about Notre Dame spring football. Marcus Freeman, impressive in his press conferences, from the three-minute clips that we get of watching spring football practice this year, what have you been able to tell about his defense? Uh, I mean, it's much more fast and free than what Clark Lee played. And that and that's not to say, like, I think any criticism of Clark Lee is really off the mark, considering he's now an SEC head coach and was outstanding for three years here. But I, if you're a linebacker, I think this defense is a lot more fun to play in than what Clark Lee had you doing, because it's – you know, one gap, okay, I need to get to this part of the field, just shoot it and go and try to make a hit. Whereas I think in Clark Lee's defense, there was a lot of reading, reacting, checks at the line of scrimmage before the snap. Um, but, like, look, this for this defense to be better than it was last year is, I mean, that is a huge ask considering you're losing Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa, rebuilding the secondary. Um, you know, pass rush has turned over quite a bit, but um, – I think just in terms of the style of defense, it's it's an attacking defense. Um, I think Clark Lee played the game not to give up a big play. Marcus Freeman is going to call a game to make a big play. Um, that may be made against you at sometimes, but I think Notre Dame is going to force the issue defensively a lot more this year than they did last year. Where do you see the biggest rebuild on defense right now? To me, it's a secondary. Um, I don't think they've recruited particularly well at the back of the defense outside of Kyle Hamilton. Um, And I think this is the year where they really, well, frankly, last year was the year where they had to make something out of nothing. Um, You know, take a grad transfer, Nick McCloud from NC State, that really clicked. Uh, Clarence Lewis was a three-star recruit, started a bunch of games as a true freshman. He clicked. So you're going to need a – probably two more Clarence Lewis type stories uh, in the secondary, I think for them to be good enough to, to really go out and challenge for a playoff spot. But um, you know, you got Mike Mickens in year two as the corners coach. Uh, Chris O'Leary is the new safeties coach. What do those guys bring to the table? And then can you get more out of Kyle Hamilton? But um, to me, the, the secondary to me by far uh, defensively is, is the biggest question. It's funny. People say, well, who's going to be the quarterback for Notre Dame? And my response to them is, Jack Cohen didn't come here for one year to hold a clipboard for somebody. I mean, To me, it's kind of obvious who's going to be the quarterback. Is that what you're seeing as well? Yeah, that's what you're seeing. That's what you're hearing. I mean, it's, it, you know, even when you ask um, the coaches about, all right, hey, who's, what's happening at quarterback right now? There's a. They always mention Jack Cohn first. Um, it's not. It's not a Cohn or Pine situation where you know it's it's. They talk about Cohn, then they talk about Pine. They like both of them, and I, I think that Pine has had a very good spring. But Jack Cohn started 18 games at Wisconsin, um, and you're right. He didn't come here to sit. You know, they can say that. You know, we didn't promise him anything. That's true, um, but I think Jack Cohn is just, he's the best quarterback for the job right now. Pete, you've been covering Notre Dame football for quite a while, and you're used to going to practice, watching it for yourself, and then go writing a story. And then I hear from Chuck, you get three-minute clips here or three-minute chosen clips here. Is that a concerted effort for Notre Dame to control the narrative 
and keep their information close to the vest? Do we read into that, or is it this is just the nature of the beast now? Uh, I think it's the nature of COVID um, and and what they're doing there. And I I understand fans who be like, oh, this is you know this is a, a step in a negative direction in terms of limiting access. I mean, when these protocols or when these sort of media restrictions came out for this spring, I believe it was about a week before or after the the Notre Dame hockey team got thrown out of the NCAA tournament for COVID protocols. So. I don't think Notre Dame was in a position where like, yeah, let's let's accommodate the media when we don't allow other people on campus and our hockey team just got kicked out of the tournament. So I I get it. I actually give Notre Dame credit for the meat in the clips. Um, they easily could have given us three minutes of Drek um, where it was guys running around cones, stretching, you know, some coaching banter. And they basically have taken – this, the, a lot of the scrimmage reps, uh, which is the most interesting stuff when you actually go to practice and put those in the video. And so you, you get a lot of who's lining up where. Um, they easily could have gone through spring and not let on at all that they could start two freshmen on the offensive line in Blake Fisher and Rocco Spindler, but you're seeing that. Um, they they easily could have not included, like over the weekend, Maris Leofau blew up Chris Tyree for a safety was not a great look for the offensive line at all, but they're, they're including stuff in there where there's a winner and a loser. It's not necessarily clips that are just like to satisfy B roll of uh, local TV. Um, They're not just giving you stuff to say that they did it. Um, I, I really like the three minutes they're doing. I hope, I hope this is the only time we do this, but um, they've, I think made a good, effort in a in a rough situation you mentioned fisher and spindler in in my opinion that's the biggest story of the spring right now is the rebuild of the offensive line and those two cats are really intriguing guys i agree i I think that that is the offensive line that's that's the most interesting story of notre dame i think this spring, this summer, this fall, um, because what they are attempting to rebuild is massive. And I mean, you've heard Brian Kelly on these calls throughout spring. I, I think that they're, they got 10 practices into it and we're thinking like, wait a minute, I feel like we actually have more options here than we thought when in some ways it's like they had more questions than answers after two thirds of the way through spring ball. And I, I think it's going to stay that way through fall, uh, or at least through August when camp starts. Um, you know, Blake Fisher is just a massive, massive human being. And talking to people around the Goob, there is there is an incredibly high level of expectation on him right now. Uh, they, he is not there because they don't have anyone better. He is there because he's the best guy. Um, Rocco Spindler, I think, is not quite at that level of a talent, but. Um, I mean, Notre Dame has not started a true freshman on the offensive line since Sam Young in 2006 in an opener. Um, you know, they've had spots Steve Elmer started. Robert Haynes, he started one game. But the idea of Notre Dame going into the season with potentially two true freshmen starting on the offensive line is is a little bit mind-blowing considering how well that position has been recruited uh, and the standard of play here. I didn't know that Shakespeare covered a blue-gold game, but he wrote Sound and Fury signifying nothing, and I think that uh, is appropriate of most blue-gold games. What do you expect to see Saturday, if anything that means anything? Anything that means anything. Um, What I would like to see is I would like to see sort of one-on-one matchups between 
whether it be Lawrence Keyes, Braden Lindsey, uh, Avery Davis, and sort of the younger DBs, you know, Clarence Lewis. You get Ramon Henderson and Cam Hart out there. You know, situations where there's like there's a winner and a loser. There's a there's a, a competition. It doesn't matter that it's blue versus gold. It's not ones versus ones and two versus twos. Um, that I think is significant. Um, can the offensive line hold up in any way? Um, I think in the clips that we've seen, the defensive front seven has has won the day a lot. Um, so that's part of it. Can Jack Cohn push the ball vertically in a way that Ian Book didn't? Um, I think that we could see that. But you're right. It's you don't really have to micro watch a spring game to find things to take away because if you just came out of it and said like, oh, the offensive line is terrible or Notre Dame's going to average 50 points a game or this defense is the best since 1973. Like none of that is possible to say, but I do think you can look at guys and say, all right, maybe Drew Pine last year, he was a guy on the roster. Now I sort of see him as a legit number two behind Jack Cohn. Like, that wouldn't be a sexy storyline, but that would be significant if you're Notre Dame. So I think I watch the blue gold game on a more of like an individual basis than I do in a, in a big picture way. NFL draft begins Thursday. You mentioned earlier, Jeremiah Wusu koromoa leaving Notre Dame. Most expect him to go high in the first round. Could this be a year with Liam Eikenberg that we see two first round draft picks for Notre Dame? I don't think so. I don't think so with Eichenberg. I mean, it wouldn't rule it out, but um, kind of the buzz, I think the vibe around Notre Dame and Brian Kelly even kind of let this slip is, you know, he might have to, he could move into guard at the next level. With the exception of Zach Martin, usually those are not guys that go in the first round. Um, it will be a bummer that uh, one of my favorite Brian Kelly stats will probably come to an end there where he's had a first round pick start at left tackle in every game he's coached except two. Um, but that would at Notre Dame that would require Eichenberg to go in the first round, obviously. But um, I think Eichenberg's probably a two. Wusu Kormo is definitely a one. And then I'm really interested to see or see where Tommy Tremble goes because he was, I think he's kind of going to end up being one of those guys who has a better pro career than a college career. Um, but I think in the right system, I think he could have a dynamic uh, professional professional run. Would like to see his hands develop, that's for sure, because yes. there were more than a few drops during his nerd would love, career. Would love to see the ball have gone to him more to develop True. his hands, don't you think? Yeah, but I hear what you're saying. Also, Michael Mayer is pretty good. So Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Breaking news. This just in, Michael Mayer, really good. Hey, one more thing before we let you go, and that is we're both still hurting a little bit after the loss of our good friend Lou Samoji. And I know that I've heard you on other podcasts share some wonderful Lou Samoji stories. Any that you care to share with our audience? Yeah, I mean, there's my favorite one. I, I wrote about this and I've said it elsewhere, but like I, I do think it's sort of captured the goodness of of loose emoji was i think it was in august of 2013 i was driving away from the goog after a press conference in preseason camp and lose like flagging me down from the sidewalk um so i stopped i'm like hey lou what's going on and he's like hey i heard i heard that uh your your son was born earlier this year i was like oh i mean yeah tate was born in may and i didn't really say much about it because you know you know how it is in the summer we all sort of go our separate ways right. and um you're not really connected at that point. And he's like, I just want to say, you know, congratulations. And uh, he handed me this hand knit blanket um, blue with a white border. 
And I'm just like, who, like who in the world does this? Um, you know, it's like you send a digital Amazon gift card, uh, in 2020 or 2013 even, um, and Lou went out of the way to find me. We hadn't worked together directly in about eight to 10 years. Um, you know, he didn't, I didn't think he knew what was going on in my personal life at that point, but you know, he, it was important to him to celebrate the birth of my son in person as soon as he saw me. And I just thought that was just a really cool, uh, anecdote about just how other centered he was. Um, he was, he always had time to care about what was going on with you. And I thought he was just, he was a really nice reminder that in an industry where I think snarkiness and sarcasm and cynicism sort of rules the day. Lou, Lou was self-deprecating, but he didn't have any of that for anybody else. And he was great at what he did. And it was just a cool reminder that you, you could be a really kind hearted, good person uh, in this industry. And we could use more people like Lou Simoji. Amen. And by the way, is that son the one that's making you the Ted Lasso of flag football right now? <laughs> yes. Yeah, we had our first game um, on Saturday. I'm acting as defensive coordinator, and we allowed a 55-yard touchdown run on the first play. I was a little <laughs> concerned. Um, however, we came back to win 2013, and I swear to God, I mean, maybe you guys have done this, but like, this is my first instance of coaching my own son in anything. And it was the most fun I have had in years. Uh, it was just awesome, awesome stuff. So, yeah, that uh, that that you're going to be a lot of Seahawks first grade flag football tweets for me on Sundays for the next six weeks. That's awesome. Hey, we appreciate you, and we appreciate you uh, coming on with us today on the Yak. I won't even push the envelope and ask for a three-peat at some point. <laughs> we'll see how the season goes, but I'm happy to – Happy to come talk Notre Dame with you guys. Pete Sampson from The Athletic. If you don't subscribe, get on there and subscribe because there's all kinds of good stuff there, including his. Look Trailers is searching for dedicated people to join their team. They're hiring immediately for skilled positions, including welders, starting at $21 to $25 per hour. If you're looking for work in a great atmosphere that's focused on safety, working smart, and bettering the team every day, then Look Trailers is for you. They're located only 24 minutes from Goshen and just 9 minutes from White Pigeon, Michigan. Their family of brands include Look Trailers, Pace American, Cargo Express, and Everlight Trailers. Fly online at looktrailers.com today. Look Trailers is an equal opportunity employer. Let's talk a little baseball, and if you're a Cub fan, you want to talk very little baseball after this weekend. They had that great day on Friday where they scored 15 runs and battered the Brewers, and then Saturday and Sunday they combined for three runs against the Milwaukee Brewers and wind up losing the series two games to one. Milwaukee has now beaten the Cubs six out of nine times this year, which is why the Brewers have a three-game lead in the National League Central over the Cubs. Can I ask your theory about that? Because the day before you saw the Cubs, mm -hmm. 11 runs, not so great the next day. Then you hear about Friday's game, and it's like, oh, man, it's going to be a great weekend. Three runs. Well, you're only as good as your starting pitching. So Milwaukee's starting pitching on Friday wasn't really good. In fact, he got hurt and left the game, and it forced them into the bullpen early. And the Cubs kind of built on the momentum that, that they had established in the first inning and went from there. On Saturday, I watched Saturday's game. The Cubs jumped out to a lead, 2 nothing. 
Milwaukee came back, tied it up, and then the Cubs had to go to the bullpen after Kyle Hendricks. And the Cub bullpen this weekend was not good. And they gave up a two-run homer to Manny Pena, and the Cubs tried to battle back, but they couldn't, and they lost 4-3. Yesterday, Milwaukee had its ace going, Brandon Woodruff, and he has owned the Cubs. Over his last three starts, he's thrown 19 innings against the Cubs and given up one run. He throws about 98, and he's got a lot of movement on his pitches. And he's tough for anybody to hit. That's why he's their ace. Jake Arrieta pitched well. He only gave up one run in his six innings. Again, the Cub bullpen, they brought in Jason Adam in the ninth, and I put on Twitter, Jason Adam might want to invest in some alternate site housing because he might be headed to the alternate site before too long, throwing the way he did yesterday. Dylan Maples, who has been a project for the Cubs forever, it seems, also had a rough outing, and the Brewers wind up scoring five in the ninth and winning 6 nothing. That said, I think what makes Milwaukee tough right now, they don't, honestly, Milwaukee doesn't hit the ball all that well. Their key is their starting pitching, Brandon Woodruff, and Corbin Burns. Not Corbin Burnson, but Corbin Burns. And those two give the Brewers almost like two aces. So now, out of your next three starters, if you win just one of those, you're playing 600 ball, and 600 ball is usually good enough to get you to the playoffs. So the Cubs have to find a way to be able to hit against really good pitching because they're going to see it throughout the year. And I'm sorry, Kyle Hendricks so far this year has not been the Kyle Hendricks we've seen in the past. I think they have to be very pleased with what they're getting out of Jake Arrieta, but if you don't give him run support, it doesn't matter. So, and then you look at the 3-4-5 for the Cubs starters, they've been inconsistent. Zach Davies, who's going to throw tonight against Atlanta, has been hot and cold. Trevor Williams, the same way at the four-star spot. Adbert Alzale threw well the other day, but he's young and inconsistent. So right now the the Cubs are kind of what their record says they are. They're 10 and 11, and they're, they're scuffling. The White Sox are playing well right now. They got a 10-strikeout performance out of Michael Kopech yesterday. Jose Abreu hit a home run. White Sox beat Texas 8-4. to They swept the series. They're making a run at Kansas City. The good news for Kansas City is they were playing the Tigers, and the Tigers are awful. They've lost 9 out of 10. So that helped keep Kansas City in first place. But I truly believe, I said this on the show last Friday, and I will say it again today, the White Sox are better poised to make a run right now than the Cubs. The Cubs might get there at some point this season, But right now, the way the White Sox are playing, they are better poised to make a run in their division than the Cubs are. Okay. You were a little feisty this morning when this story came up. I'm just going to unleash the belt and see what happens. So yesterday in Game 2 of a doubleheader between Arizona and Atlanta, Madison Bumgarner of the Arizona Diamondbacks allowed no hits over seven innings. Major League Baseball has made a rule that doubleheaders are seven-inning games now. They're not nine-inning games. They're seven-inning games. 
Major League Baseball has set the length for the game. Madison Bumgarner allowed zero hits against the Atlanta Braves and threw a complete game. And yet Major League Baseball also says, well, that's not a no-hitter. That makes no sense at all. I can understand if the game were truncated because of darkness or something like that, and they decided not to resume it. You've said this is a regulation game. This is the length of the game and how it will be. How can you say because he didn't throw two more innings in a game that you didn't set to be two more innings that it's not a no-hitter, that it will not count as a no-hitter? I don't understand the logic of that. Do you? I don't. And now when you do a doubleheader, both games are seven innings. Right. That's the rules the league has made. Yes. But if you pitch a no-hitter, it's actually not a no-hitter. Right. Now... The pitcher in the game before allowed one hit, and he was credited with a one-hitter. But if you allow no hits, you won't be credited with a no-hitter. What's going on there? Well, it's, it's too much of the traditionalist saying, well, this, those were all nine-inning games. How many no-hitters would we have if every pitcher only had to go seven innings? Well, the fact of the matter is, every pitcher would have had to go only seven innings if they were playing in double headers right now. It it's just it's mind-boggling. It's an argument that shouldn't even be had. If you set the length of the game and say this is an official game, it counts. Every other stat in that game counts. When you look at player statistics, they will all include that game. It's not two strikes and you're out all of a sudden. Right. It's not. The only rule in that game that changed was the length of it. And the only reason that length of game changed is because you, Major League Baseball, said it was going to be this long. And now, because somebody sets a mark in that game, no, 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 no. We we can't possibly count that. That would just That would just change the game epically. Do you think behind the scenes, Madison has some sort of contract deal of like, hey, pitch a no-hitter, you get a bonus, and then this doesn't count as that bonus because it's not... Well, it would be interesting to see if that happened. Yeah. Yeah, because the Arizona Diamondbacks on their Twitter said, we're counting it. Yeah. As well they should. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. And I know... Um, our buddy Ed tweeted out this morning he wanted to hear a rant on this. This was not performance art, Ed. This is clearly how I feel about the situation. You can ask Mr. Mann how I was in the studio this <laughs> I morning. Heard, that's the third time I've heard it today. It's, it's spirited and substantial. It's passion. That's what it is. It's soapboxy. It comes from the heart. And it comes wondering, who are these idiots making these decisions? <laughs> I, I said yesterday on Facebook, I, I showed the story and I said, because baseball is run by idiots. And I truly believe that right now. I, I don't think Rob Manfred, the commissioner of baseball, has any idea what he's doing. No. 
How long has he been in that chair? Too long. There that it is. would be the answer. <laughs> Too, Too long. long. Well, let's uh, segue into softball. Notre Dame playing really good softball right now. They have won nine in a row. They swept a road series from a ranked Virginia Tech team over the weekend. Deanna Gump's team got great pitching yesterday. Some terrific hitting. Quim Biggio with a home run. Yes, that's the daughter of Hall of Famer Craig Biggio. And the Irish win yesterday 3-1. They have won nine in a row. And they have played 12 games against ranked teams this year. They've gone 5 and 7. They're not ranked themselves right now, but they could be. And you got to be happy for what they're doing. And then the Notre Dame baseball team. I don't know if you heard about this story because I know you were busy celebrating your anniversary over the weekend. I may have seen some popular tweets. Saturday. So Notre Dame wins the, the or loses the first game of the series to Boston College on Friday night. They come back Saturday. They win the first game of the doubleheader by a count of 5-2. to two. Nico Cavadas out of Penn High School with a home run for the Irish in the game. That was his 14th of the year. Are doubleheaders in college seven innings? No. No, they're not. They play big boy ball. Okay. <laughs> and the Irish can be thankful for that because in game two of the doubleheader, they are trailing 9 nothing after six. And apparently from my sources on the team, Boston College players were doing their fair share of chirping, shall we say, heckling, however you want to put it. They were basically letting the Irish know, we don't care that you're ranked number six in the country. We're about to take two out of three from you. Irish scratch out a run in the seventh and make it 9-1. Cavadas leads off the eighth with a home run. Zach Preisner hits a three-run homer. But then there's two outs in the inning, and Notre Dame still trails by a count of 9-5. to five. They proceed to get 12 runs in the eighth inning and take a 13-9 lead and win. I believe the chirping stopped somewhere in there. Wow. They had... They had plays where they scored two runs on an infield hit. They also had a play where the bases were loaded and Jack Brannigan stole home. I mean, Boston College looked as rattled as rattled could be out there on the mound. And my sources tell me the beauty of it was the two guys doing the most chirping were the two guys that came in from the bullpen and just couldn't get anybody out. Can we see this anywhere? Is there are, an archive? Or? There are highlights available on Twitter. Okay. As far as the full game, I'm not sure that that can be seen anywhere. Wow. Watching that 7, 8, 9 would be something. Oh, my goodness. So, And I, and I will give kudos to the Boston College announcer because he was the, it, it was the home announcer, but he played it very neutral. Yeah. And, and when things were happening, he wasn't like, whoa, he just... He played it as though he had no dog in the fight. So, mm. good for him. So, great weekend on the diamond for Notre Dame. Uh, the Baseball America poll is out. Notre Dame still number six in that poll, moving up in the D1 baseball poll. They'll play Valparaiso tomorrow night at Frank X Stadium. Yes, I know. Fans still can't go. It's very, very frustrating on an 85-degree day. Wouldn't it be nice to go to Frank X Stadium and, and watch this team play? Uh, you'll have to watch it on ACC Network Plus. 
Okay. And then uh, one more college football note, not pertaining to Notre Dame, but uh, just kind of a tragic story up at Central Michigan. A young man by the name of John Keller is their quarterback. He had transferred in from Cincinnati, had to sit out last year. He was shot at an off-campus party over the weekend and is in serious condition. And so our prayers go out to him as well. Now, I don't know whether you were able to do the assignment over the weekend or I not. I was not. I apologize. Okay. So, But I've started percolating the list. The list is starting to come together. And for those who might have missed Friday, Jack, would you care to explain what we're doing here? Chuck and I are going to attempt a bracket challenge of one-hit wonders. Uh, songs that went up the chart, sat up there at number one, and then when they went down, you basically never heard from that artist again. But they left their mark in the music world. For example, or off the top of my head, Take On Me by AHA. That will be a part of this challenge. Tony Basil, Mickey. I've had both of those 45s in my uh, history. Dexy's Midnight Runners, Come On Eileen. Pop Music, M. M, yeah. Theme from Hill Street Blues. Right. That was a hit. All of those will probably be in this bracket of 64 Yes, that we'll come up with. And you, the maniacs, will vote via Twitter or however else we push that out to you. But I'm very excited about this. And I know you're dumbing it down for someone like me. I appreciate you. No, 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 no. <laughs> We're happy to do that. Happy to have Pete Sampson on the show today, too. I thought he gave some terrific insight, and I love that last story he shared about loose emoji. I don't have any underrated, overrated for you. I don't either. But I do have a fun fact. Did you know? Oh, good. I'll leave you with a did you know. Do we have a jingle for this? We need a jingle for this. I'll work on that. Okay. Um, this was in one of our trivia questions this morning, but we didn't say it on the air, but I just loved it. On this day in 1964, Roy Orbison is having his 28th birthday. Mm. In the room celebrating with him and singing happy birthday to him, none other than... The Beatles. 1964. At the height of their popularity. That height. Shea Stadium concert is legendary. 64. 28 years old. Four young lads from Liverpool. Hey, we'll sing happy birthday to this guy for you. I, I mean, can you imagine being in that room? Now, Roy had done some recording by then, right? Yes. Yes. And we have determined that the dark glasses were because of stage fright, not stage because fright. of blindness. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately they got a little thicker as he got older. But, you know, 52 years old, way too young. Yeah. He actually had a hit the year after he died. Uh, do you remember that song, You Got It? Yes. That ended up rocketing up the chart. Uh, what do you call that word? Post? Postmortem. Posthumously. Thank you. All right. Hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. You know, much like today's. Now, you're on Twitter, right? At 46 Sports. It's a good follow. Let's get that check in 2021. You're on Twitter as well, right? I am. At My name is Corey. And I'm also doing true stories on TikTok at My name is Corey one. One. Make sure you have the one there, you TikTokers out there. I'm told that the eighth grade class at Discovery are really enjoying some true stories. Yes. Until next time, Yak fans. Ooga Luga Walter Payton. Ooh, sweetness. We've had some fun. Yeah, the show is done. Now we gotta run. It's Sport Check. Sport Check. Sport Check is not filmed in front of a live studio audience. We done.
Sports Yak Podcast brought to you by Look Trailers, searching for dedicated people to join their team. They're hiring immediately for skilled positions, including welders, starting at $21 to $25 per hour. Located only 24 minutes from Goshen, 9 minutes from White Pigeon, Michigan. Visit looktrailers.com. Look Trailers is an equal opportunity employer.